Today is the fourth in a four-part series on the local church. In the uh, first three studies, we took passages of scripture that described the local church in a metaphor form. The first reference used was Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. The local church is likened to platoon, a tight-knit group of uh, soldiers, men and women that were mighty in the Lord. The second installment was from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, which likened the local church to a household. The third installment likened it, the church to a human body. That passage was in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 28. And our final installment will come from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, which likens the local church to a bride. When we look at this particular passage, we're going to read scripture. We're going to read uh, uh, Ephesians 5. We're going to break it up into three sections, and we're going to talk about each of those sections. So if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with me, go to Ephesians 5. I want to read the first three verses in this passage, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. This passage likens the relationship of Jesus Christ to the local church between a husband and wife. In that particular passage, Jesus Christ is the head and the wife is submissive to that head. In uh, scripture, we look at uh, this particular likening and we realize that there is no perfect church. Just like there's no perfect biological husband or there's no perfect biological wife. But that doesn't mean we strive to become that. In our situation with the local church, we do have a perfect husband. His name is Jesus Christ. And we are that church. We are not perfect, but we strive to be that. So we study this not to puff up ourselves or to to proclaim ourselves something great. We just look at the benchmark and we just try to strive for that. When I look at this passage, and I'm going to liken it to a wife, I'm going to take some uh, figures of speech some metaphors as we describe this. The first passage I'd like to go to is in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 describes the virtuous woman. Now that is a literal passage talking of a mother speaking to her son, giving him advice on what kind of bride he should take. But if you would look at this with a step back, and uh, I think the qualifications for this particular passage would apply very, very well to the local church. Let's put it this way. Let's pretend you were forced to move to a city where there was multiple churches, or you were forced to make a decision between two cities where there was a church in each city, and you could decide which church you would move to or join in that particular move. The question I have is, is which church would you choose? Well, I think reading Proverbs 31 would be a pretty good outline for deciding which church to become a member. I'm going to read just the first three verses of this passage, And then I'm going to come back and reread it again, and I'm going to change a few words just to make the parallel. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he hath no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Let's read that again, and I'm going to change a few words. Let's read verse 10. Who can find a good local church? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of Jesus doth safely trust in her, so that he, has, he shall have no need of spoil. 
the church will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I think this parallel is very, very strong. Now you're asking in a biological sense, in a practical sense, what does a husband trust in his wife? Well, it would be the kids. It would be the finances. If uh, he was a soldier and was deployed for several months and he was away, he could turn over his checkbook. And when he came back, he would have no worries about uh, funds being spent or misappropriated. If uh, he w- ran a business and he turned part of that business over to his wife, he would be do it trustfully, understanding that she would take and be a good steward over what she was given responsibility for. That's the trust factor. So what trust, what, what, what has Jesus Christ turned over to us? And the thing he's turned over is his word. He's turned over the gospel. So when he turns over his word and his gospel to a local church, he has trust that they will not pervert it. They will keep it pure and, and, and just as he intended, and they will preach it accordingly. So let's go on and keep on reading this, and let's see if the parallel, parallels continue to hold. I'm in Proverbs 31, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. <clears throat> she seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. When I read this passage, I see a a, a woman that is very resourceful. I see a woman that's very industrious. I see a woman that is very provisional, providing. And in essence, that's exactly what a local church should be. It should be hardworking. It should be resourceful. It should be industrious. And I think that's the kind of church we want to belong to. Keep on going. Proverbs thirty-one seventeen. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out not out by night. She layeth her hand to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. This one is packed full of applications to the New Testament church. The church is strong. She has confidence that her merchandise is good. What is our merchandise? It's grace. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. There's no better story in the history of the world than Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. That's good news. And we have confidence that that is a good message. This local church or this bride also reaches out her hand to the poor and she stretcheth forth her hands to the needy. Local churches ought to be doing that too. Let me continue on. I'll pick up in 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. Parallels in this passage right here are very strong too. This church is not afraid to spread the gospel. They're not afraid to get out in the community and share the truth of what Jesus Christ have done for her. Notice in verse 22, it's talking about she presents herself in a, uh, a well manner. Now, we want to take care of our church buildings. We want it to be inviting. We want it to be pleasant. 
that is not what we worship. That is not our first priority, but we do make it warm and inviting. Notice what it says in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates. She sits in the gates and she brags on her husband. That's what local churches ought to be doing in the communities they set. They ought to be a a light and salt to the community where their husband is known in the gates, that husband being Jesus Christ. Let me continue on here. I'm going to start picking up at verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to her ways of her household, and needeth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up, and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. When I look at this particular passage, I notice that uh, this particular uh, virtuous woman, she gets up early in the morning when it's still dark, and we find her working even after the sun has gone down. I've got to share a story about my daughter when she was five years old. This happened many years ago. Uh, as a father and doing household devotions in, our, in, in my family, I often read from Proverbs 31. When my sons were early in their teens, I was reading Proverbs 31. I wanted them to become very familiar with the qualities of a virtuous woman. I wanted them to look and esteem and cherish those particular qualities. And as I read this passage to them, my my daughter, which was several years younger than my sons, she was only five years old and she was listening and there was a time where uh, it was time for her to go to bed. And I uh, said, uh, my daughter, I said, it's time to go to bed. And she says, Father, it's too early. And I said, what do you mean? She says, it's still light outside. And I said, what's that got to do anything? She says, Dad, I want to be a virtuous woman. And virtuous women don't go to bed when it's still light outside. Well, as a five-year-old, I didn't really particularly trust her motives But I did know that she was listening to scripture. What a marvelous thing for kids to be taught scripture at a very young age. And she was uh, absorbing that even at that age. Notice also what it says in this passage that many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. I told this to my sons and it may sound arrogant. I hope it doesn't. But I told them, I don't want you settling for just a plain old virtuous woman. I would like for you to be marry to marry a woman that excelleth virtuous women. Now you're thinking, wow, that's 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 pretty bold. Well, in order to get a woman that excels virtuous women, you're going to have to be a man that excels virtuous man. If she's that wise and she's that whole, uh, uh, um, disciplined in her life, she's not going to settle for second best, and you're going to have to step up to the plate to to be able to attract a woman like that or, or, or gain the trust of her. But ultimately, I'm looking at the local church. We don't want to be just the regular old virtuous local church. We want to be a virtuous local church that excels all virtuous local churches. Now, we don't do it to get pat on the backs. We don't do it to earn a bigger crown in heaven. We do it simply to glorify our Lord. 
and find a nice safe place for our children, our children's children to come and worship and be glad to worship there. And then finally it says, give her the fruit of her hands, let her own works praise her in the gates. A local church does not need to praise itself. Let her husband take care of that. Let the works do that. So with that being said, let's go to a second witness. In the New Testament, there's a passage I find very interesting. We used Proverbs 31 to describe the qualities of a local church. I suspect many of you have never considered of doing that. It is a practical message, and I think the application is very sound. There's a second passage in 2 John. John wrote an epistle to an elect lady and her children. I believe this can be likewise used as a picture of the local church. Let me read that passage to you. It's very short. 2 John only has the one chapter. It's 13 verses long. And the first three verses are talking about uh, is the salutation. First three verses say, <clears throat> The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now that's the salutation. Let me reread that again, and I'm going to change a few words, just like I did at the beginning of Proverbs 31 and verse 10. The elder unto the local church and her members, whom I love in the truth. I think this parable is just as strong as the one we made uh, for the case we made in, in Proverbs 31. But let me continue on in this passage. I'm going down to verse 4 now. Notice what it says. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, I believe this is written to a literal woman with a literal mother with literal children. But can't this apply to a local church? I found this local church where thy members were walking in truth. Verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. You'll find that commandment in each church epistle, to love one another. Verse 6, And this is the love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. This woman is being praised for keeping people that teach false doctrine away from her children. I think that would be fine language to describe the local church. Now, as a local church, we want to be warm. We want to be inviting. We want to be loving to the community. But there comes a point in time where there's people that are trying to uh, undermine the teachings of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we ask them to leave. Let's continue on in the passage, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we have received a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not Christ. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. The Lord would have us be protective in our local churches. Now again, we don't sit up on 
on uh, judgment seats, judging everyone come in, and we think that one, oh, that person's hair is too long or it's too dirty or too many tattoos. That's not the kind of judgment we're talking about. We're talking about the false doctrine. We want to be in warm, inviting to the community and the people in the community where we live. For he, verse 11, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Boy, the parallels between that and local churches are really strong. How many times did Paul write into one church and says the saints at this particular local church where I'm at right now, they greet thee. It's really strong language. Okay. There's a third parallel, but I'll not go there this morning. You can go to the Song of Solomons. And I think a parallel between Jesus Christ and the local church could be made very strong in that passage too. But I'm going to pass on that for today. Let's go back to our passage in Ephesians chapter 5. We just read 22 through 24 where the local church is likened to a bride. Let's continue on and read five more verses in that passage. Ephesians 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherish it, even as the Lord the church. Now we're given a description here where Jesus Christ loves the church. He loves it, he nourishes it, he cherishes it, and he dies for it just like a husband ought to be willing to do and does for his biological wife. I want to look at a couple passages of scripture. As I read these passages, we know that the order of the New Testament epistles, it starts off with the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the next book of the New Testament is Acts. That's when the disciples went out and started constituting and planning churches and ordaining elders all throughout the Mediterranean region and the Middle East. And we read about all those things going on. But after that, we get to what we call the church epistles, the church at Rome, the church at Corinthians, at Corinth, the church of, uh, in, in Galatia, and, and so all the way up through Thessalonica. Too often we read those and we think these are great big theological statements. Well, and many times he's making theological statements, but these are epistles specifically written to a local body of believers. So notice in the first passage I'd like to go to is in Colossians 1. I'd like to read 18 through 22. That passage starts off and it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. What Paul's doing when he writes the people at Colossae, he's saying this local body of believers, you know, this group of baptized believers that are committed to Scripture and one another, When you meet, you meet to worship, you meet to learn of Jesus Christ. And when you meet, God is in the midst of you when you assemble to worship. Jesus Christ is the head of that body of believers. That's what he's saying. So let me read the passage again. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. 
For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. Yes, Jesus died for all the elect family of God, but the local church, members of the local church, are a subset of that elect family of God. And being a subset of that, he made peace for you. He reconciled you. There were times when we in this local body were rebellious and we were enemies of God. But God loved us. He forgave us. He worked with us. And in his death, he made us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Just, just trying to comprehend what he did for me is just amazing. Let's read a second passage talking about him being the head of the local church. Same book, Colossians 2, let me read 19 through 22. And not holding the head, which from all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together. That language sounds an awful lot like Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And it also sounds like 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 13 through 28 where Jesus Christ is the head, the local church is the body, there's different parts of that body. We are joined together, we are knit together, and Jesus Christ nourishes us, he knits us together, and he gives us the increase of God. Verse uh, 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Now these are the ordinances of man. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He gave us scripture. He gave us the law. He gets very upset when men introduce additional laws to us and force us to keep those things. And uh, he is the head of the body. He is the, the lawmaker. He is the judge. In the last passage is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren. He's talking to a local, local body of believers at Corinth. He says, I'm, I, I'm not too happy with you right now. He says, I praise you in some things, but some other things I don't praise you. But he says that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Even, even the local church has a hierarchy and that church is subject to Jesus Christ, their head. So, with that being said, let's move on in our passage of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I'd like to read the last four verses. I'm going to start at verse 30. For we are all members of his body and his flesh and his bones. Again, this language sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For this cause man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I can't tell you for years I was an automatic pilot, and I thinking the 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 way a, a, a wedding is conducted, the father of the bride walks a woman down the aisle. The minister will say, who gives this wife away to be the husband? And the father and the mother usually say, we do. And she he lets go and he gives that wife and they become one with the husband. And it looks like the wife is giving it up. But notice what this language says in verse 31, which is consistent what we find in Genesis and also Matthew 19 when the Pharisees challenge Jesus. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be made one. Just keep that in mind. Now, when I look at this and I'm trying to compare, how in the world does this work? How does Jesus Christ come down from earth and become a man, but also rise into heaven, become a bride, I'm sorry, the husband of the bride, the local church and each local church? You know, I can't tell you all the answers to that. That's why verse 32 says this is a great mystery. You know, even if you were to ask me about the Trinity, I don't think I can describe all the ins and outs of the Trinity. God said it, and I believe it, and that's good enough for me. Well, it's also the relationship with Jesus Christ and the local church. It's a great mystery. He said it. He likes it. He loves us. He provides for us. He protects us. And I trust that his word is true. It's not ever proven false to me before. Let's read a couple passages here. How does this work? I want to stretch your brains here a little bit. Kind of like what I did in Proverbs 31, where I likened the local church to the description of a a woman that uh, um, uh, a queen was giving instructions to her son, the prince, Prince Lemuel. And he said, these are the qualities I think you need to be looking for for a wife. Well, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 through 7. i got to tell you a story of something that happened nearly 20 years ago. I was pastoring a church in <coughs> south of here in Georgia. <coughs> Matter of fact, it's the only other church that I pastored. And at that time, that church had a slew of young people. When I say young, I'm talking about oh, anywhere from 5 up to 20. And there was a pile of them in their teens. And as I got there, within the first year or two of being there, they asked if I would do a series on marriage. Even though some many of these were too young to be getting married, they wanted them to start thinking in that area. So I did a series on marriage, and that marriage series lasted probably close to, I don't know, eight to ten weeks, I guess. And in that, I went through Proverbs 31, and I was describing all the qualities that young men should be looking for in young women, and everything went well and fine. But what happened is, is uh, there was a mother that came to me after one of the services, and she says, but I've got a teenage daughter. I want the list for my teenage daughter. And I said, well, unfortunately, Proverbs was written to a father to a son. He did not write to his daughter. I'm sure the qualities of the virtuous woman would apply to a virtuous man. And she kind of looked at me, that, that just wasn't good enough for her. So I said, give me a couple weeks and see what I come up with. Well, as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, and I studied scripture, I came up with the requirements for a pastor. Now, does that mean every woman in the church should marry a minister? And the answer is no, of course not. 
but reason with me. If the relationship between Jesus Christ and the local church is considered like a marriage between husband and wife, and Jesus Christ picks a man, a steward of sorts, to the care and the nourishment of that bride, wouldn't those qualifications be very interesting to look at in terms of a prospective husband? And I think so, especially when you read these. Now, again, let me just share with you that there are some things like, let's say, apt to teach. Should a preacher or a minister be apt to teach? And the answer is absolutely. A man that can't teach uh, um, complicated things has no business being in the pulpit. But (coughs) the man you marry should be able to teach your children. Now, he will not be able to do at the same level and to the same degree as a minister, but he should be apt to teach and to some degree. So let's read this with a, with, with a mind open to the parallel about qualifications for future husbands. First uh, Timothy 3 verse 2 starts off and it says, A bishop must then be blameless. That's probably a pretty good qualifications for a prospective husband. The husband of one wife. Vigilant. That means aware, alert, astute. You know, when your children are, are, are getting into trouble and there's a change in their countenance and behavior, you want someone that's alert. You want a husband that's sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Now, wait a second. Given to hospitality, that's a preacher thing. That's not a husband thing. No, you want your family, your mother, your his mother-in-law, to feel welcome in their home. Apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre. These are all good qualities that are fine that I think you could look at and use to gauge a man that you're thinking about courting or even marrying. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruled in his own house well. Now you're thinking, ruined an old house well? He hasn't been married. Well, how does he run his house? How does he run his finances? If you have a man and he can't uh, uh, keep organized, if he can't keep his finances organized, uh, getting married and saying I do is not going to change all that. When I look at uh, uh, the things of Scripture, when I look at the, uh, um, the qualifications of an elder, that's a very good framework to use to hold up of a a man of God as you consider whether you should marry or not. And we continue on this. It says, not a novice, lest being filled up with pride, you fall into condemnation. You want someone that's a solid Christian. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You want someone with a good report, not only just a good report within the church, but you want a husband with a good report in the community, at his workplace, in the neighborhood, in, 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 uh, in, in local affairs, because you will be greeted, you will be picking up his name. Let's go to a second passage, talking about this uh, uh, last section in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about husbands and wives. I'd like to go to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. 
Now again, we read these all the time when we're talking about husbands and wives in a practical or biological sense. But I'm asking you to look in a spiritual sense and make these applications there too, in terms of a local church. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. We are subjections to Jesus Christ. We are not in subjection to any other husband. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. This is one application that does not apply. We do not through our behavior need to be converting Jesus Christ. It's through his word, his actions, his love that converts us. That's one place where this uh, parallel falls down. While they behold your chaste conversation. Notice this though, it says, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now you're going to say, wait a second, we just read Proverbs 31 and you made the point that a virtuous woman takes care of herself. She, she, she looks good. She looks presentable. And I say yes and amen. Gentlemen or women, you do not be, need to be walking around frumpy looking wearing potato sacks. That is not what scripture would have you to do. But at the same time, you do not need to make your cosmetic and your apparel be the number one priority in your life. Matter of fact, it should be a distant fourth or fifth. It's your countenance, it's your attitude, it's your reputation, it's your meek and quiet spirit, which is way more important. Husbands, you need to be looking at that. And husbands, I don't want to let you off the hook either. I'm after the women not to look frumpy, just as a local church shouldn't look frumpy. Gentlemen, don't look frumpy with your your wives. Do not wear those old sweatpants all the time. Get dressed up once in a while and look presentable to her. That is not your number one priority but you still want to look pleasing to her. We continue on in the first Peter 3 passage. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. That's what we want to do as a local church. We want to have that kind of relationship with our husbands. And I've got one more passage I'd like to look at speaking of this. And this is in Luke 14, 25 through 27. This one might seem to come out of left field, but I, I think there's some, uh, some traction to it. Let me read the passage. And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them, this is Jesus Christ speaking to a multitude after he was preaching. And he said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. When I sit down and I do counseling for young couples that are getting married, I usually will get on the internet and look up the top five reasons for divorce at that particular time. And year by year, then what, what, what the categories are, they change, which one's number one, which was number two, number three. But there's usually two or three that usually show up uh, right there in the top three. Number one of, one of them is usually finances, and we talked a little bit about that in First Timothy 3. 
Another one that shows up is, is children. Children. Uh, when I sit down with a couple and let's say one wants three and the other one wants five, I'm not too worried about that. I think that'll work itself out. But if I sit down with a young couple and one wants zero and the other wants two, then we got a problem. We don't move forward till we do a lot of talking about that subject. But there is another subject that comes up that's usually in every one of the top lists of reasons for divorce year by year, and that's in-laws. In-laws, yes. So I sit down and I talk to them hard about in-laws. I talk to them about do not dump on your family when you are upset at your wife. Ladies, do not dump on your family when you're upset at your husband. You do not run him down. And when your family runs him down or your family runs her down, I said, you got her back, you got her front, you got her top or bottom or left and right, you protect her, you do that. And when the wedding comes along, I do something very interesting too, not a whole lot of preachers do. When I speak at the wedding, I usually address the congregation for a good long time. I do that for a couple reasons. One reason is, is uh, those couple, (coughs) the man and woman that are getting married are so nervous, they don't hear a word I say anyway. But most of that wood has been chopped in my office during council the weeks and the months prior to the wedding date. So when I get there on the wedding, I make sure that the congregation, all the family, all the in-laws, all the friends that are going to give the knucklehead advice over the years, I tell them what this young man and young woman has agreed to in my office. So instead of telling them to run contrary to the vow they take this morning, why don't you remind them of the agreement that they made and hold them to it? So I ask them to do that. So when it says, unless they hate mother and father and wife and children and brethren, no, do not run them out of your lives. Honor your father, honor your mother. When you get married, you don't get rid of your parents, you double them. You get two fathers and you get two mothers and you honor them. You do that. But at the same time, when they come and they run a schism, whether it be doctrinal or whether it be done uh, divisions of raising the children, is that you and your wife stand as one and you protect and you got their front, you got their back, you got their side, you got their top, the bottom. You are on a team operating as one. So there you are. What I'd like to do is I'd like to go back and read the passage of Scripture in Ephesians one more time. And I'll make some closing remarks concerning this study. In Ephesians 5, let me start reading again at verse 22. I'm turning there right now. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband, your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Thus far in this series, we've likened the church to four things. We've likened it to a household. We've likened it to a human body. We've likened it to a platoon. We've likened it to a wedding or a marriage, a husband and a wife. So when we read this passage and we see the commitment biological women are making to their husbands and we see the biological 
commitment husbands make to their wives, we realize Jesus Christ has done every one of those commitments in perfection. We as the wife have not acted perfect and perfect obedience, but we're working on it. I pray that as a local church, we're better than we were yesterday, but I hope we don't sit on our laurels and say, look how far we come. I pray that tomorrow we're better than we are today. So that is the parallel of reading this particular passage. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. That's exactly what Christ did. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's what Christ did. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. That's what Christ did. For as we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Can I explain every facet of it? No, but Jesus said it, and I believe it. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let us be that wife. Let us be that local church that reverence her husband. Let us be that wife that takes care of his children, that our husband is known in the gates, that has no worries about spoil, that trusts in us completely with his most prized possession, his children, and his truth. May the Lord bless us as we go forward in our local churches. Thank you.